Well, let me first begin by just saying, hey, can you guys believe that it's already September? <laughs> like time has flown by so fast. Like where did the summer go? And especially as we are looking towards now resetting for work, where some of us resetting for schooling, um, it, it just brings that kind of like lullness of what the summer was for some of us where we feel, wow, it was a great break or I'm not ready to go back to my regular routine. I, I'm hoping that as we start this new season and this new uh, sermon series together, I pray that you will be blessed, that you'll be encouraged, and it gives you some space for reflection as you plan your way forward. The new sermon series that we'll be going through is called Calling and Courage. For the next couple of months, we'll be going through this sermon series together, our calling and our courage. God gives each one of us a calling, and we need courage through His Spirit to follow through with it and to see the good work that He wants to do in our life that is life-giving for each and every one of us. Let me begin by reading today's scripture for us. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm going to read from verse 6 to 16. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 to 16. I'll be reading from the NIV. It reads this. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, for who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God designed for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerned through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. So Father, as we enter into this new sermon series, Calling and Courage, and especially today's message about missing the main thing, for some of us, Father Lord, as we are gearing up for this new fall season, for some of us who, feel, who may feel certain parts of our life are out of sync, and especially for those of us, Father, who have felt that our life with you 
our faith, our relationship with Jesus Christ has been out of sync for quite some time. And we don't quite know how to recover that. Will you open up our ears? Will you open up our eyes? Will you open up our minds so that we may hear from you, Lord, and reconnect with you today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, like all routines, and sometimes when we're trying to get back into the routine of things, for some of us, again, the summer months have been a month for us to relax a little bit, rest, get out of our regular work routines, and try to get back and into recovery of our soul and our mind as we go on vacation and as we try to spend some time of leisure for personal reflection and with our friends. But now that we're getting back and into our work-life schedule, going back into our study life schedule, sometimes we realize that certain things in our life are out of sync. You see, this happens in professional sports all the time. It isn't because we have gifted players that come into the sport and they have an incredible skill. They have an incredible swing, pitching ability, catching ability, whatever it may be. But what sometimes happens is over the course of a long season, over the course of years of playing in that professional sport, they don't realize it, but something happens, whether they're gaining even a, a positive thing, gaining muscle weight, that their body type, it changes a little, and without them knowing, it throws their swing, their hitting, their pitching out of sync. It can happen all the also through an injury. Maybe they're playing really hard and they injure their shoulder, they injure their hip, they injure their knee, and it throws their running, their ability to catch, their ability to bend, their flexibility. It throws things out of sync because an injury has occurred. See, in an effort sometimes to turn things around, we may try our best and things just don't go back to what they used to be. And sometimes we are prone to think about it in terms of things that are outside of us. We try to turn things around as we tried ourselves and things just aren't clicking, things aren't working. Sometimes we look to things outside of us like we say, oh, it's because I need a better glove. The bat keeps slipping in my hand and I need a more expensive glove to help me, a batting glove to help me to get better grip on the bat so I can hit the ball better. Some of us, we say we need a better catching glove, and that's why I can't catch balls as, as well as I used to. Some of us, we think we need a better, uh, lighter bat, and the bat will change my swing, why I'm so out of sync. You see, when things are off, it's really important not to get lured by quick fix solutions or look for cutting edge or trendy, the next best thing that will help us in a certain situation. You see, it's relatively easy whenever we start something new or whatever we are gifted or skilled at, it's relatively easy to have a short season of greatness. It's relatively easy to start well and to do well for one season, to be a one-hit wonder. But as we see in professional sports all the time, it's a lot harder to remain consistent in that greatness, to remain consistent in that goodness over an entire career. You know, it's so easy to just have a couple of months, a couple of weeks of swinging the bat well, 
but it's really difficult to do it over your entire career. This is why when Stephen Covey, he's the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, when he looked across the spectrum, because anybody can be successful in a short run, but it's very difficult for any person or company to be successful over a longer span of years. When he, when he looked at highly successful people over the longer term, he came up with Seven Habits, and he wrote that book, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. And Stephen Covey, he's also the one that coined this phrase. He said this, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I'm sure you guys have heard that quote before. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. In other words, what he was saying is that when we are pursuing greatness, when we're pursuing any sort of success in our life, Sometimes our problems that we find is that we pursue these trendy things or these up-and-coming new cutting-edge things outside of us to help us in our pursuit. And then in that, as we are reaching out and we're hoping that these other things will help us in our pursuit, we forget about the main thing that made us successful. We forget about the main thing that draws people to our product. We forget about the main thing of why we are in this in the first place. And that's why Stephen Covey says one of the hardest things to do for any person, and especially if you're ex expecting success over the long term, he says, keep the main thing, the main thing as the main thing. And it's the same thing in our faith as well. We need to learn that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. You know, the same is true in our faith. Here's the problem. Here's the problem that we all face in our relationship with God. We can have that one-time great retreat. We can even have a great season of faith growth, whether it was in our youth days that we, that we remember, whether it was last year through this like, conference that I went, went to, and it gave me this kind of like riding of the spiritual connection for about a few months or even the span of a year. But suddenly, whatever happened, maybe it was um, an injury that we received, a word that really offended us, or a disappointment that we experienced, or whether it is just a passivity to our faith where we stopped engaging, whatever it was, something happened and it subdued us. Something happened where it threw our relationship with God, our experience of God's Holy Spirit, out of sync. And the search that caused each one of us to have is to try to figure out how do I restore that? How do I get back to that? And we've been trying to get back into the swinging things. We've been trying to recover the thing that used to animate us and excite us about a relationship with God, but it seems too hard. It seems like a far distant past to be able to reclaim. How many of us are now tired of the same old and the same old cycles, and the same old efforts that we keep putting in uh, month after month, or seasons that come and saying, this time, I'm really going to try in my relationship with God, and it just turns out to be the same thing. Well, it's time, just as C Stephen Covey has, has coined, it's time in our relationship with God to be reminded that the main thing 
is to keep the main thing, the main thing. You know, although we all respond differently to these types of feelings or moments, there's a common response that I've noticed in my own life and also by observing the life of others that we try to get back on track in our relationship with God. And it's this, we have the tendency to lock down on a certain preference that we have. We're absolutely convinced that it's this something. And whatever that something is, whatever we feel like is missing in our life, we're absolutely convinced that it's that something that will get us back on track. And we have such a narrow mindset as that being the primary solution. So even though on the back of our mind, we say, yeah, 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 I understand, you know, prayer. I understand getting back into God's word. I understand consistency in my relationship with God. I understand these things as essential to my faith and that being the main thing. But, you know, this periphery thing, it needs to line up in order for me to do that. You know, when we connect this with the Corinthian context that we just read in this passage, this was the same attitude that the Corinthian church was struggling with. You know, preceding this chapter, we read chapter 2, but in chapter 1, Paul lays out the context to which he is writing this letter to the Corinthian church. In fact, when we look at chapter 1, we see an issue that was happening within that church that was bubbling up to the surface. They were doing well, but suddenly things got out of sync and all of these arguments, all of these disagreements began to bubble to the surface because everyone's frustrated. They, they're missing out on that depth of relationship with Christ that they previously experienced and got them in into, uh, into faith in the first place. And so the arguments that began to happen is, the teachings are wrong, right? And some people were saying, I follow Paul. Other people were saying, well, I follow Apollos. His teaching is more engaging, right? It's more compelling. It reaches my heart better than Paul's dry theology. Other people were saying, well, I follow Peter. I identify with Peter more because Peter is someone that's like us, you know, that we very unassuming and, and not a scholar like everyone else, yet he does these great miraculous things, right? So I kind of follow the teachings of Peter. You know, as, as we notice the habits and the tendencies that these people were taking is that they failed to make the main thing the main thing. What they were actually looking for were outside solutions to reinvigorate, to reestablish, to reignite their faith. See, what was common to all of them was this. They're trying to use human wisdom. They're trying to use their own human standards to address a spiritual issue to address something that's going on in their spirit. See, Paul points out to them, you forgot the main thing. See, in response to their tendency to pursue these outside solutions, these human standards of what they believe will reignite their faith, will reestablish their spirituality again. Look at how Paul addresses that. And we see it in verses 6 to 10. Let me read it again. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's 
wisdom, a mystery that has been made hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. These are the things God has revealed to us. How? By His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. You see, Paul was reminding the Corinthian church that there is a greater and more fulfilling law that's actually at play in our life. The temptation that we all have is to subvert the spiritual reality, the, the fact that God is spirit and that we are called to worship him in spirit and in truth, to subvert that and into human standards, to put that as secondary to our experience of the physical, to what we can control and what we can handle. You see, what Paul was saying is that the reason why they're going through what they're going through is they're seeing everything through a human, fleshly, worldly lens. In other words, they're trying to solve a spiritual problem with human standards. They're trying to address a spiritual reality with physical realities. This is why no matter what we see on the outside, for some of us, it seems like in our physical reality, if, every, if anyone takes a snapshot of your life right now and they look at how you live, they see that you have a job, you're making a decent income, you can actually buy the clothes that you want to buy. You can actually eat the food that you want to eat. You're not overwhelmed by poverty or you're not overwhelmed by hardships that are, that are happening in your life. When people see you, relatively, it looks like you are enjoying your life, that you are happy. That's the superficial. But inside, despite everything seemingly going well, why is there a frustration? When we have every basic need, that a human requires to live well, why is it that we're still not satisfied? Why is it does it feel like something's out of sync? Why is it that we feel like something is missing? You see, Paul is saying it's because you are missing the fact that we are both spiritual and physical in nature, right? There's a deeper, stronger reality the spiritual reality that exists within us, within the world around us, that we cannot see with physical eyes. And he says, this is what's out of sync. Our spirit is out of sync with God's reality, with true reality. To access this reality, the only lens through which we can see it, as Paul says, is God has revealed it to us. How, does he say? By his spirit. And when we don't access it by his spirit, what does he say? Then he says, God's wisdom, the spiritual reality, the affects us all. He says, it remains a mystery that seems hidden to us all the time. And this mystery that remains hidden, the reason why we feel so unfulfilled, is he says, for God is destined for our glory before time began. You see, this is the reality that God says, it's been established, it's been written in this book that this is who I created you to be and this is what fulfills you 
And that's what we're all longing for because that's in our DNA. It's in our very personhood. We were created for this. But because we're out of sync with that and we're not clear of what that is, this mystery is, it remains hidden and we feel this angst. We feel this separation. Through God's spirit, he says, we seek God's wisdom. We look for access to God's wisdom so that we can see differently. We can see this deeper reality of who we are and not just remain living in this physical world for physical purposes, but we live for a greater purpose for which we were designed. He said this requires us to see that deeper reality that we can only access through his spirit. And once we get that deeper reality, what happens? We naturally live differently. What happens? We naturally feel differently. What happens? We naturally hope differently. But when we don't have access to that, when we are not connected with it, everything just feels out of sync. This is why Paul says in this passage, no eye has seen, but let me paraphrase this a little bit. No human or physical eye has seen. No human or physical ear has heard. No human or physical mind has ever conceived the things God prepared for those who love him. These things, he says, are revealed by his spirit. Brothers and sisters, is it possible the reason why we're not accessing the wonderful things that God has prepared for us and that depth of reality that we're all longing for, is it possible that we're not accessing it because we are searching through physical means? We are searching through human wisdom. We are searching through physical eyes, physical ears, and a physical mind where he says it's only accessed by his spirit. See, there's a, there's, a parab uh, there's a story that happens at the end of Luke chapter 18. And we all know that story. We've all heard it before. Remember that blind beggar? Um, and in other places, his name is uh, Bartimaeus. But this blind beggar, he hears that Jesus is walking by. And as he hears about this, he's been blind his whole life. And he wants his sight restored. So he calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he knows that he has no right to ask that. But he also knows the problem that lies deep within is his sight. He's blind. He can't see. He can't see a hope. He can't see a future. And he needs Jesus. And he's reaching out to the right person. He's saying, I don't need more money. I don't need anything else. I need Jesus. And when Jesus walks up to him, he asks this blind beggar a very important question. He asks him, and he opens up the prayer request to include anything. He asks him, what do you want me to do for you? It's an important question. What do you want me to do for you? Remember, his title was blind beggar. In other words, begging for money. You know, this guy having now the attention of God of the universe, the God who has access to everything, he could have asked, I want to be rich beyond my imagination." Right? I never want to beg again. I want all the money so that I never have to beg. And even though I'm blind, I can purchase whatever I want. He could have asked for that. He could have asked for power. He could have asked for friends to help him. But what does he ask for? None of those things. He says, 
I want to see. See, this beggar, he knew that there was something more to his life than simple poverty. He wanted to see deeper, more clearly who he was, who God is. And he says, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus heals him. He says, your sight is restored. Your faith has made you well. Brothers and sisters, I'm wondering whether that's a prayer request that many of us are missing as we are praying about every other thing. God, I want a better promotion. God, I want a better relationship. God, I want a better uh, house or family environment. But we're, what we're missing is the main thing. God, I need to see. See, spiritual sight is a prerequisite to any change in our life. You know, one of the reasons seeking the Holy Spirit to give us sight and hope is that it allows us to prepare and to come to terms with our own brokenness. The things about ourselves that are causing us to go astray. The things about ourselves that are distancing us from realizing and recognizing what's really going on in our heart. You see, most of us, we already know our weakness. Most of us, we already know what our brokenness is and what's causing it. And we hold, the only reason why we hold on to it because it's because we're familiar with it. We know that's the cause of us and we keep going the same cycle over and over and over again and we keep promising, promising ourselves that we will break that cycle. But some of the reason why we just keep holding on to that is because of this. It gives us a distorted comfort. At least it tells us as in, and at least we know what there is. We know what the cycle will be. We know we'll be happy for a little bit of time, but and we know that we're going to drop back down and into our depressive or our hardship modes again, but at least we know what's to come. The reason why we have such a hard time letting go is because the problem we have is facing that broken facet of our life without really seeing the hope that is present. You see, we have very little margins these days. We are overwhelmed by a lot of trouble, by a lot of challenges that we're facing. And because we're overwhelmed by these things, our margins become increasingly thinner and thinner. We don't have enough margin to say, you know what? I'm going to try God out. I'm going to ask him, let me see your ways, even though I have to let go of the safe, safety net. Or whatever my bad cycle is, I want to risk letting go of that safety net because God has first revealed to me by his spirit, his reality, his assurances, his hope. You see, brothers and sisters, this is why it's so important that we hold on to him. We hold on to him first because God's spirit first needs to reveal to us, this is your hope. The second thing that God needs to reveal to us after he's saying, this is your hope, now here are the obstacles that are in the way. You see, look at what he says in verse 10b and 14. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. You guys see what Paul is bringing up. 
the Spirit searches all things. So when we get the Holy Spirit, He doesn't just give us the hope. He doesn't just give us, here is who you're created to be, the mystery that God has planned for each and every one of us to bring us joy and fulfillment. But same time, it says that same Spirit, once it comes into us and gives us first that vision, that vision then allows us the courage and the security to now let go and to now hear of the distorted and broken things about our life that need to be surrendered, that need to be repented of. And the reason why we can let go this time is we have something now to look forward to. You see, brothers and sisters, the scariest and hardest thing about letting go and why we hold on is because we don't see an alternative. And here, God gives us an alternative by his spirit. You see, only through the spirit of Christ are we able to see that alternative. It may not be the whole picture, but we get that glimpse again. And that glimpse becomes clearer and clearer as we continue to make the main thing the main thing of our life. You see, when we keep letting go of our hold of Christ and allowing our human standards to take the lead, we keep forgetting to make the main thing the main thing. And when we do that, everything continues out of sync. And we can't get back in into experiencing God and experiencing life as we were designed to. Brothers and sisters, are we missing the main thing to our faith? Are we missing the spirit? Are we missing centering ourselves on Jesus Christ? Because if we are, you probably notice you're missing out on joy. There's a joy that is absent in your life. In order to restart and to be reanimated, to be reinvigorated in our relationship with God, we must start with addressing our spiritual blindness. Our prayer must first begin with, Lord, I want to see. Not, Lord, I need this thing or this outside thing is going to help me. It's, Lord, I want to see. That needs to be our primary desire, our primary focus. In Luke 24, Pastor uh, Jen shared from this passage a couple months ago. In Luke 24, after Jesus died and rose again, his own disciples had problems with their spiritual sight. In fact, after spending three years with Jesus, they couldn't recognize Jesus when he was walking right beside them. And I wonder how many of us have that same problem today. We can't recognize that Jesus is right beside us as we walk forward in life. You know, only after spending time with Jesus and the breaking of the bread with him, we see that their eyes were finally opened. And what did it do? It unleashed a joy. It reinvigorated their faith that they began to share that joy and that faith with people around them as well. See, brothers and sisters, it starts with eyes that see, eyes that search for Jesus Christ in our life to give us his lens on who we are. It begins there. 
And as we start there, the next thing that God reveals to us by His Spirit, the Spirit that searches all things, He shows everything that's blocking us from continuing in that direction. And He calls us to repentance. Father, thank You so much for blessing us with this time, for reminding us, Lord, of how deep your love is for each and every one of us. I pray, will you hear our prayer? Lord, we want to see. We want to see your reality, Lord, and we want to live by your reality in our life. Thank you, Father. Help us, Father Lord, to make you the main thing. Restore our sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.